These actions today are going to bring an unprecedented level of transparency and clarity to the health of the nation's banking system. They're going to replace this deep cloud of uncertainty over the system, again, with more disclosure, with more certainty. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. That was Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner you heard at the top talking about the stress tests on the nation's banks. Adam, we got a good show today uh, featuring a fight that you get into. Yeah, I got into a fight with Elizabeth Warren, certain to anger some of our listeners, but we... I don't want to give it away. Yeah. Um, she is, of course, the chair of the Congressional Oversight Panel, which reviews how the government is administering the bailout money. And we have a fight over a rather heated exchange over a rather subtle issue. Yeah, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, the Planet Money Indicator, $75 billion. Ten of our largest banks need $75 billion to protect themselves if the economy gets worse. That's according to the results of the stress test, which were just released yesterday. Right. And Alex, I feel like maybe you and I should have a little confession here. Sure. Yes, I think we all have a confession to make, as a matter of fact. Yes. Um, so, so when we have been covering this stress test from the very beginning, we have said that... Um, Timothy Geithner was telling everyone before it even started that all the banks were going to pass. And we've said things like these stress tests are very – are not well respected. They're not particularly tough. It's hard to really believe in a test when you know in advance how everyone's going to do. Right. And we weren't the only ones. It was hard to find any experts who thought the stress tests were a real test of the of – the nation's bank's health. Right. And so so let, let's play the actual words Timothy Geithner said to me on the podcast uh, on the day that he started the tests. Um, he said, and this is, of course, it's the day they started, so they hadn't conducted the tests. He said he already knew how healthy the banking system was. Is it possible that there are large banks in the U.S. that are effectively insolvent? That's what we keep hearing from economists and market folks. Is that possible? Well, um, l let, me let me try it uh, this way again. If you look at our system today, uh, our system has quite high levels of capital relative to what we've had going into a recession like this in the past. Right. And we took that to be uh, dodge, basically. We took that to mean he was giving the banks a pass telling them that they're fine before the test even started. Right. And and now we see, now that the results are in, that at least 10 of the 19 biggest banks need to raise money, that, that the Treasury Department is saying, you are not all that well capitalized. You didn't pass in the sense that you don't need to make any changes. They do need money. But there are still plenty of criticisms with these results. People think the tests weren't all that tough. That the banks probably shouldn't have been allowed to negotiate so much with the Treasury about the results and how much capital they need and all that sort of stuff. And um, like in so much of this crisis, there wasn't enough transparency. Right. So, Alex, let's not give the full mea culpa. Let's not fall fully on our sword. Um, there, you know, we're not here to fully endorse the tests, um, but but we have to admit that that Geithner was tougher on at least some of the banks than we expected him to be. Or that it seemed like he was going to be in the beginning, maybe. Right. Yeah. Now, there's another number in the news today, 539,000. That was the net 
jobs lost in April, which is a lot, 539,000 jobs. It's a lot, but it's not as much as people expected, and it's less than it's been over the last several months, showing possibly, maybe, I guess we can say hopefully, if not the crisis is ending, at least it's slowing down. But it's still certainly a negative territory. And that brings us to Jocelyn Lally, a Planet Money listener who's seen the impact of some of these job losses and furloughs and hour reductions and the like at the engineering company where she works in Chicago. She had an indicator for us, two minutes. Which is the approximate time I have to wait for the printer to warm up if nobody else has printed something in the last I don't know, hour or half an hour. I've just noticed that it's been happening to me in the afternoon, which is weird because, you know, people are normally at work printing stuff out. So, yeah, I'll walk over to the printer and it says warming up. And so I say, oh, man. So I just stand there and wait for it to come out. Thanks to listener Jocelyn Lally in Chicago. And also send us your Planet Money indicators. Let us know what's going on with you uh, at npr.org slash money or send us an email to planetmoney at npr.org. Org. So, Adam, yeah, have you calmed down from your big fight with Elizabeth Warren this week? Actually, it, I mean, I am calmed down now fully, but it did take me like a couple hours. It was a pretty intense conversation. <laughs> so, all right. So Elizabeth Warren, of course, is the Harvard Law professor who is now chair of the Congressional Oversight Panel for TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And so her job and the rest of the panel's job is to keep an eye on how Treasury is running this program, the Troubled Asset Relief Program. Right. But uh, Elizabeth Warren is famous for many years to public radio listeners and others because she's on Fresh Air all the time for her work on credit and bankruptcy and financial stuff that affects everyday people. Right. And so during your conversation, you were talking about all of this. um, And she mentioned, you know, she talked about like what her take is. It's a very strong, very specific take on this issue. The American middle class is under assault. They they are getting the wrong end of a great big financial deal overall. This is a, a generational You're not shift. Talking about I'm not talking about TARP or TARP. I'm not talking about anything else. I'm talking about how this economy has shifted. I'm talking Through, about – Since the 70s. That's right. It. So that was sort of early in your conversation. And now, Adam, I wasn't here when you talked to Elizabeth Warren, but I've been hearing all about it from everybody here at Planet Money. They're all abuzz. And I guess it got kind of heated. Um, But when I was listening at first, it seemed like you guys were just agreeing about things, like, for example, the banking crisis. When you've got a a financial system that's in crisis, that's under pressure, there are really three things we can do. We can liquidate it, right? That's what we did with the RTC. Uh, We can reorganize it in place. That's kind of what Sweden did. Uh, It's what we did with Continental Illinois. Or we can subsidize it. And right now, we have taken the route of subsidization. Now, that sounds like a milder version of things that you and I have said on on this very podcast. You know, we lay out those exact options, the only difference being that what she calls subsidization, we have actually referred to as a bastardized half measure. To end all bastardized half measures, (laughs) I believe. Exactly. So so, um, it seems like she's uh, the reasonable one here. What happened? Where did did things – what was the the problem? Well, we argued about a few different things, but the the, the big thing was that I was saying that TARP, the thing she was – hired to oversee for Congress, has one problem to solve, which is the emergency financial market crisis. That's its job. Its job is not to look at 30 years of inequity to the American family or or, or the other issues that she happens to care passionately about, and that 
much of her public statements, much of the work she's done with this oversight board deals more with the things she cares about, this 30-year generational crisis, than the short-term financial market crisis that we're facing right now, the banking crisis that she was hired to oversee. Right. And so you guys went back and forth about this and back and forth about this um, and then finally came to sort of this point in, in the conversation. I understand the point that we cannot advance an economy without a banking system. And, and I'm with you. That doesn't mean any particular bank is indispensable. A system is indispensable. We've got to have this system that works. We cannot run an economy without it. But having a banking system by itself is not a substitution for having a viable economy. It but, doesn't make right. the economy viable by itself. It's it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. But that's obvious. There's no question about that. That's well, obvious. Then, but the what we then saw, I don't understand why our voices are raised. I don't either. But I'm going to raise mine more. Okay. <laughs> because I think that what what it feels to me that you that you are okay, that you are missing is that. I think we put aside your pet issues. I think we put them aside. I think we put them aside until this crisis is over. And the, then the, we... This, you and know, I, and what you're saying makes work. no sense. Now, come on. What you're saying just... I'm sorry. It I just makes I no sense. Think that yes. On an emergency banking... basis, on one day, one week, one month, there's no doubt in my mind. We've got to step in. We've got to make sure that we have a functioning banking system. I think I've said that like nine times now. Yeah. Of course we have to have a functioning banking system. Wait, wait. I want to go farther. I want to make you matter before uh, I No, no, no. We're now <laughs> at what? We're now seven months, eight months into this. And it's the second part of what you said. We can't do anything about the American family until this crisis is over. This crisis will not be over until the American family begins to recover. This crisis does well, not that, exist that's independently. That's your crisis. That's the, no, it that's is not a, my crisis. That is America's crisis. If people cannot pay their credit card bills, if they you cannot are pay not their in mortgages... But you are not the mainstream of views on this issue. You are not... You are, what? That if they can't pay their credit card no. bills, the banks are going to do fine? Look, I, well, who's, who are you looking at? The... You who you says a bank is going to survive if the – who is not worried about the fact that Bank of America's default rate has now bumped over 10 percent? That's at least the latest data I saw. So the idea that somehow we're going to fix the banks and then next year, next decade, we're going to start worrying about the American families, it just doesn't make any sense. The American the pieces families don't add are up. not – these issues of the crucial – the essential need for credit intermediation are 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 – as close to just accepted principles among every serious thinker on this topic. The view that the American family that you hold very powerfully is fully under assault and that there is, and we can get into that, but that is not accepted broad wisdom. I talk to a lot, a lot, a lot of left, right, center, neutral Economist, you're the only person I've talked to in a year and a half of covering this crisis whose view is that we have two equally acute crises, a financial markets crisis and a household debt crisis that is equally acute in the same timing way. I don't I literally don't know who else I could talk to to support that view. I literally don't know anyone other than you who has that view, and you are the person appointed to Congress to oversee it, and you are presenting and a very, very narrow view to the American people. I'm sorry. That is not a narrow view. What you are saying is that it is the broad view 
to think only about trying to save the banks and to say, hey, no, the American economy no. will cover at some point. We'll no. worry about the families. I, I think, saying that, I think have... that is the narrow view. And I think I have the broad view. The broad view is that these two things are connected to each other. And the and notion, equally and the notion, and the notion that you can save a banking system while the American economy goes down the tubes is just foolish. Wow. That yeah. got a little uh, a little heated there, huh? Yeah. She <laughs> called me foolish. <laughs> she did. Yes, yeah, she did. Um, so I still have to I still don't quite understand, though, why you two just got so mad at each other there. What was it? What was that about? Well, yeah, I mean, so like how this always happens, like it's suddenly you're in the middle of an argument. You didn't quite expect you'd be in the argument. And and certainly in my case, it's two days later that it's clear to you what was going on. And And, and here's what I realized is that. To the degree that I'm like inappropriately for an objective journalist, like emotionally angry, it, it, I'm mad not at her. I'm mad at Harry Reid and and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, basically, when when the TARP panel was announced, I felt like Congress had this opportunity to do something really awesome, like really great, that they could have taken a bunch of well-respected economists and banking experts from across, you know, Democrats, Republicans, nonpartisan, just just the kind of people we talk to on Planet Money all the time, just well-respected people who spent their careers understanding in an unbiased way how the banking and financial system work and, and just let them do smart, substantive analysis like the like the 9-11 Commission, you know, nonpartisan senior statesmen, really smart thinkers, that kind of thing. And if they did that, because you know that, anyone who listens to Planet Money knows that there's a lot of things that Democrats, Republicans, like just smart economists, smart securities lawyers, smart financial experts agree is wrong or is problematic in, in, in the Treasury response or just have thoughts about other ways of approaching this crisis. Um, and, and I think that would have had a big impact on the Bush and Obama administration and how they handled the crisis, because, specifically because that panel would be so widely respected. It would be hard to just ignore what they say. Right. And it's sort of like it seems like what you're saying is that there's an issue of optics here because everyone on this panel is seen to be coming from a partisan viewpoint, right? You've got the two – it's a five-person panel. You've got two Republicans, including Jeb Henserling, who's considered very ideological. Um, you've got a guy from the AFL-CIO, a very polarizing organization, highly partisan. And this shouldn't be a surprise. The way it worked out is the Republicans got to pick two commission members. They picked two partisan Republicans. The Democrats got to pick three commission members. They picked three people who are seen as partisan. Elizabeth Warren, you know, I think she genuinely believes her views. She genuinely believes they're true, but they are highly controversial and they are very much associated, not just with the Democratic Party, but with the left wing of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's so it, it seems like maybe it's an opportunity that's been lost. There's there's massive suspicion out there of what the Treasury has been doing. There's massive confusion about it. People are angry about it. But this body that's supposed to help us sort it out, it, it's just too easily to, it's too easy to dismiss it as just one more partisan bicker fest, basically, right? If, exactly. And yeah. so every month this panel comes out with a report and every month Jeb Henserling, the ideological Republican, votes against the panel report and the other Republican might write a dissenting opinion. And I just don't think it really has a view. And then people love Elizabeth Warren, but they tend to be people from the progressive stance on the party. And my issue isn't even the merits of any of these particular views held by the panel members. It's just 
Yeah. Right. It's, it's hard to get to the truth because if you've got like somebody say sort of somebody who's uh, a right leaning person whose natural inc- inclination is to distrust Elizabeth Warren and what she has to say, that person might not just because of what has come before, that person might not be as willing to s- sort of listen to her in any event, even if what she's saying is absolutely right and and listen should right. be listened to. You just kind of say, oh, that whole thing. It's like watching cable news or something. Right. Whereas you could have had a panel with, say, Charles Calamiris, who tends to be like a libertarian Republican, uh, Nouriel Rabini, who tends to be, a, you know, maybe a slightly left of center Democrat, maybe, you know, if they're on uh, Mark Gertler, who's one of the leading banking experts in the country, who's you know very much centrist, nonpartisan. People like that who are just like senior statesmen. I just think that like, man, that would be a. I want that panel. Yeah, more public broadcasting, less cable news. Basically, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Right. Um, but you know, I should. I feel like I should point out you and Elizabeth Warren are still friends, right? Yeah, yeah. We actually, honestly, like. We had a really – it was an hour and 10-minute interview, and then we talked for like another 20 minutes, and it was really nice. We just fought for that one little part of it, the part that we played for all of you. So I hope <laughs> you enjoyed it. Here's how it ended. You, Adam, uh, basically agreed that the two of you are involved broadly in the same enterprise, that you're both trying to understand what the Treasury is doing, and you're both trying to explain it to America. All right. Well, now I feel like I don't even know why we yelled at each other so much. I know, but it sure was fun. It was fun. It was good. <laughs> there we yeah. go. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> no hard feelings. It was good. We're friends. I, I think we can be. Okay. I think we can be. All right. Thanks very much, Elizabeth Warren, uh, chair of the Congressional Oversight Panel. I love a happy ending. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> so that it will end it for us today. Uh, make sure to check out our blog at npr.org slash money and send us your emails. Maybe there will be some nice hate mail planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>